Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Richard Whitmore's amazing colossal podcast. <laughs> you're listening to Herve Villachez as Paul Williams. No, you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm already lying, and this is my favorite podcast, including my own. Love you. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Our guests this week are back for a return engagement, and Frank and I couldn't be happier about it. They're producers, film historians, pop culture, obsessive Marx Brothers and Albert Brooks fanatics, and two of the most prolific and original admired screenwriters in the history of the big and small screen. You know their impressive body of work, including The People versus Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, Big Eyes, 1408, Screwed, the Emmy-winning miniseries, American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson, and of course, a little film celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, the wonderful and heartfelt Ed Wood. In a career that started way back at USC Film School in the early 1980s, they've worked with Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, Milos Foreman. Milos, Milos Foreman. Hey, it's my show. Shut the fuck up. Respect the dead. If I want to call him Milo's, I'll call him Milo's. And a dog named Milo's. Yes. Let him get a podcast. He does a podcast, actually. Does he? Uh, Bill Murray, Danny DeVito, Jim Carrey, John Travolta, and even Courtney Love and George the Animal Steel. <laughs> and if all that wasn't impressive enough, they also co-wrote the two greatest motion pictures ever committed to celluloid, Problem Child and Problem Child 2. The newest project premiering today on Netflix is the Rudy Ray Moore biography, 
Dolomite is my name, starring my fellow SNL cast member and Beverly Hills Cop 2 co-star, Eddie Murphy. Please welcome to the podcast, Two Rat Soup Eating Honky Motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Our pals Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Wow. Hello, Gilbert. I'm exhausted. Hi. Hi. In all fairness, I swiped that from Larry's Facebook page today. <laughs> <laughs> the rat suit motherfuckers. <laughs> hello, boys. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, gentlemen. I'm going to start printing those in large print, Gil. Uh, yes. <laughs> Milosh. Yeah. Phonetically now. Yeah. Now on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Milo's. That's when he was a cartoon character. We had. I was going to save this for the end, but we had Beverly D'Angelo and uh, and Treat Williams here a couple of oh, weeks wow. ago talking about Milo's. Wow. We, oh, sure. We lost him since yeah. you guys were last yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, a yeah. couple of things you want to say about him? I mean, he was just an amazing guy. I mean, just really so giving and just uh, you know, just such a great director and so so uh, such a nice person to us. And I mean, he was really full of life. Yeah. Zest. It's, you know, it's Anthony Quinn and Zorba the Greek. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Hello, how are you? Come here. <laughs> oh. yeah. just, everything was a you know, big bear hug. I, I was, uh, we're, we're staying at the Essex house and I was walking past the Hampshire house and, and I turned to the person I was with and I said, I think Milos used to live here. And the doorman overheard me and said, oh, he was a great man. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah. That's lovely. I, Larry, didn't, know, you, I didn't know he was uh, he was spying on me. <laughs> <laughs> you said every day, you tweeted every day was a unique adventure. Yes, because he he was open to everybody, and that's what you you know you said even Courtney Love and things like that. I mean, he was he really wanted the uh, to know what you felt about things, and he cared about your out the input of 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 the crew, cast, writers. You know, we never felt like uh, uh, we were pretty young when we made those movies, and we never felt like we were, you know, uh, cut out of the process in any way whatsoever. He was great. And when we did Man on the Moon and Jim decided to become Andy and Tony, just for the hell of it, <laughs> Milos went along with it. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a bit of a roller coaster. So yeah. so that was true, that special? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. He, he, he definitely believed he was. Well, it's I don't know if he believed it, but he he did it. Yeah. He committed to it. Totally. And and it was an everyday experience. And, you know, it definitely, uh, you know, put the project, you know, behind schedule all the time. Uh, I would say the only thing that, that was different in real life than in the movie is that um, everyone was kind of in on it. Everyone, it was this beautiful thing that Jim was doing. Uh, it was like a performance art inside the middle of a movie, the making of a movie. And he was such a big star that he could get away with it. But it was the idea that you were actually... The, the shooting of the film was becoming a Kaufman-esque experience, and that was that was kind of cool. Uh, my favorite bit, which is not in that doc, uh, was that uh, Tony drove his car up to Danny DeVito's trailer, and Danny was inside it, backed the car against the door, locking Danny inside the trailer, and then took the key to the car and threw it into the Los Angeles River. <laughs> wow. Oh, so, now, so now Danny is trapped inside there, and they can't shoot. So... It sounds funny, but it's not funny if you have to make your day. <laughs> Actually, no longer even sounds very funny. <laughs> yeah. And, You're right. and it's probably an expensive gag, too. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes. The, the movie keeps coming up because we had Ed Weinberger here. We oh, wow. had George Shapiro what, what here. What is Ed Weinberger thinking of the movie? 
Uh, we interviewed him, but we never saw him afterwards. I can't remember, but I'll, I can send you the link to that episode. We had Peter Bonners here, who oh, was wow. obviously okay. playing Ed wow. Weinberger. Yes. We had Shapiro. Who else did we have? We had Zamuda. Oh, yes. And we're, and we're having Mary Lou Henner in a couple okay. of years. Oh, Mary so it's, great. it's a movie She's that just, it just keeps coming up, and we well, have everybody's different perspective. What's funny about Ed Weinberger as a character is we, you know, Ed's famous because he has a period at the end yes. of Ed. Yes. But you can't do that in Final Draft. So, because final draft, <laughs> interesting. Final drafting it thinks it's the end of a sentence, yes. and then it wants to have two spaces, yeah. after the dot. So, oh, and it was just completely fucking with us as we were trying to type it. <laughs> so we had to drop the dot, and it's like we knew we were going to get grief from somebody. Like you, you don't realize how Ed spells his name. It's like we know. Gil, what's the thing that weirds you out about Man on the Moon that you talked about? Oh, that the he, different yeah, occupying the he, u- different universes. What? Yes, yes. Uh is is anyone involved with the movie aware of the fact that Danny DeVito was in Taxi? <laughs> <laughs> really? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's that Judd Hirsch exists in this universe, right. and and yes, yes. Uh, well, everyone, they all and, and and Carol Kane and Marilyn. Yeah. Right. Right. Carol Kane and Marilyn. We could have hired an actor. We could have got Wally Shawn to play Danny. So you know? <laughs> couldn't they have had Danny DeVito in a dual role? <laughs> Also playing himself. <laughs> you know what? We honestly didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, ser- seriously, that's yeah. actually that would have been in the spirit of the film. Yes, it would have. We yeah. just said we'll le- we'll just we won't cut to the cage. So we'll just pretend Danny DeVito was not on. Louis wasn't in that episode. We we're not yeah. obligated to show every person who was in Taxi. So yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> Could they at they, least have had one of the other people go? Hey, when's Danny getting yeah, yeah. here? Um, what we found uh, interesting about that movie nowadays is that um, for a lot of kids, it was sort of their first R-rated movie. Oh, interesting. That Because Jim Carrey was kind of their like comedian star at the time because of you know Pet Detective and things like that, that this was the first time they got to see an R-rated movie, and it was also the first time they, they, they found out about a different style of comedy. So it was a kind of entry entry level performance art for 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 kids. So we're meeting people who are like thirty uh, some years old now, and they're, they're like writers or producers or directors or something. And they all they all say how that movie influenced them in a great way because it was the first time you know they saw certain things. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I've got kids in their early twenties, and a lot of their friends sort of discovered it on HBO, which you know HBO likes to buy a movie and then run it into the ground. Larry Flint's on HBO a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it was sort of the introduction to Meta. Yeah. Oh, interesting! It's like you know, self-reflexive storytelling. What did you guys say about Milos last night? Because I saw I saw Larry and Scott last night. Uh, I saw a screening of, of Dolomite last night with the Writers Guild, and you were saying that Milos taught you guys play it real. Yeah, well, here's the thing: like our uh, we consider ourselves comedy writers. I mean, we write like old-fashioned comedy writers, and sure. uh, our, our scripts are always trying to be funny. But what we found, uh, Milos and Tim, I think to a certain extent too, is that if you play and Craig, and Craig on the new yeah, movie, Craig definitely on the new Brewer. movie. If you play the um, if you play the stuff that reads kind of broad on the page as real, it's not broad at all. It actually feels more like real life. That's interesting, you know. Because Treat was telling us, what did he tell us about Milos that they, he had to wait till they. They stopped acting. Oh uh, yeah, I, oh, I yeah. I've heard that about other directors too. I think uh, 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 oh, what's his name? Cisco, uh, Cisco, uh, Ebert. Okay. Ebert said, "What's that uh, French filmmaker Lou Besson or Luc Besson? Luc Besson. Lou, you, Lou Besson. They, he said he mentioned him, 
and said that he's one of those directors who will rehearse you a thousand times so you're not acting anymore. Right. Well, that was that was the whole Kubrick thing, was that Kubrick goes for 50 takes because by the time you're on take 50, you no longer, you're no longer thinking about the lines anymore. You're just like, come on, Wendy. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's this, this exasperated thing. Um, but Milos was not really that. Milos was more that he wanted... He wanted it to feel like real life, and he wanted it to feel natural, and it was he didn't want to see anybody acting. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, he would meet with great actors, but they they obviously wanted to do their thing, and that wasn't really what he was about. And he, he had a word he would throw at us a lot in, in, in the rewriting of different drafts, which was, discombobulate. Yes. This, it's wonderful. Yes, it is. the pages are wonderful, but... Perhaps we should discombobulate it, yeah. meaning that Larry and I had written a scene that the scene starts at A and it's got to get to D. So we're going to cover A, then B, then C, then D. And Milos feels like, well, what if you flip B and C? What if you, you grab the bottom of the page and you put it at the top? That makes the scene less predictable and, and, and more jagged like real life. And so that, that was sort of a, that was a Milos lesson. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's comedy in all his work. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, they're yeah. very funny. Yeah. Well, that's why we actually he's, thought, he's yeah. unafraid of jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of fancy directors are afraid of humor. No, that's why uh, we're the ones who thought of him for for Flint, and it was because of Cuckoo's Nest. Because Cuckoo's Nest is one of those movies that's hysterically funny, right? Uh, but it's also really serious, and it's heartbreaking, and it's real, and it's just it has everything to it. And so, a lot of Milos' movies are really funny. You're like Amadeus, which is you yeah. know, it's just, yeah, a, just another castle picture. But you watch it, and it's funny. Absolutely, it, it, and it's it's throwing jokes at the at the rear balcony. Yeah, I think Beverly was saying that though that that he would wait, say, okay, I'm going to let the kids stop acting and actually wait for I, natural moments to happen. That story, Just being. Yeah, yeah. Jack Lemon said, I think when he was working with uh, William Wilder, uh, yeah, Billy Billy Wilder. Wilder. <laughs> yeah, he said that he he kept saying to Lemon, okay, again, less, less, less. <laughs> And and he goes, uh, and, and Jack Lemon lost it. And he said, if I do it any less, I'm not acting at all. And he goes, oh, God, yes. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, that sounds like Wilder. Yeah. Now, now this, this uh, we found out in the last episode, uh, Problem Child could have been released with a slogan based on a true story. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, sort of. Inspired by. Inspired by Inspired, yeah. yes. No, we were, we uh, we had seen, um, it was in the LA Times, I think, there was an article about a couple that were suing an adoption agency because the kid they got, and the kid was a terrible kid. I mean, the kid was like, uh, he burned down their house. He wrote like, he wrote like, you know, devil stuff in his own shit and the walls and things like this. Like and Gilbert does. Like Gilbert does. <laughs> kind, of, kind of like Gilbert. <laughs> You were going to play the kid now, not the, not the, and so, um, and, and what's the problem? Exactly. And so, uh, I think a bunch of people saw that story and they pitched it around. To no, studios. but then they had it, they had to go on the run. Yeah. Like they, they had to change their names and like go into witness protection. Oh, yeah. From the kid. <laughs> the kid who was like trying to find them and kill them. Yeah. And so they, they sued the Orange County Adoption Agency. And so all, the, all a bunch of, uh, producers and writers around town saw this story in the Times that said this is a horror film. Right, the bad and, seed. And went, and went to pitch it as spooky. And we said this could be a riot. Right. And see, now I can see this picture still being made. Sure. Well, it's not PC. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
Nobody's thought to remake Problem Child. Uh, That's they, interesting. They remade it as a. They tried to make it as a TV series. It was a, it was a really. It was a crummy yeah. pilot. weren't you, oh, weren't you in the animated series? Wasn't, yeah, I oh, yeah. was in the animated yes, one. Yeah. Which but Gilbert always comes back for Problem Child. He's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to indulge him in that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, that was funny. We saw the pilot. I don't think it was. It was pretty bad. They didn't they were, call him Junior. They didn't call him Junior, and they didn't. Um, yeah. It felt more like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was more less of the. Less of problem oh, yeah. child and more like just a, just a wise ass kid. Was he talking kind of. to the camera? He was talking to the camera and he was doing, you know, he was cool. And that the weird thing about problem child is for all its faults, and there are lots of them. Um, but not that, Mr. Peabody. But not Mr. Peabody. Solid. <laughs> um, <laughs> rock <you>. solid. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's off. Like there's something from the casting, there's something really wrong with it. And it's not, and that's what makes it not home alone. Because it was, it's not just about a smart ass kid. It's about like this. Sure. There's this thing that's fucked up. It's a fucked up movie. And the Michael Richards thing was bought, was torn from the headlines too. No, a little that, bit. no, that was that was Scott and Larry making up shit. That, okay, that the kid, the kid's hero was a serial killer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that was just us being creepy. Okay, <laughs> what was the one I'm going? You know back? what's great about Gilbert in those movies is if you watch them very carefully, you realize that he doesn't need to wear pants. <laughs> you never see Gilbert like from the third button down. Yeah. Right. Part man, part desk. Like I used to yes. say about Larry Sanders. Never yeah. leave, no matter, no matter what set he's on, he never leaves the desk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. You know what? I don't think you get up from behind the desk in Beverly Hills Cop. No. No. No, you don't. Same I think you're thing. a desk, you're oh, wait, a desk Ford, actor. Ford Fairlane. I don't think you have pants either. Oh, Yes. This is a thing. Yeah. yeah, this this is something. <laughs> well, it's hard to imagine Gilbert in motion. Like I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Gilbert, and I actually don't think I actually ever seen him walk somewhere, move at all. No <laughs> actions. No action scenes for Gilbert. All right, then tell them the the, David, the story where David Steinberg was directing you, because they oh. probably don't know this. Yeah, he was once directing me in some show where I had to say something. He was mad run. about you. What? Well, I was mad about you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had, and I had to say something to the, you know, Paul, and then run off. And then uh, David says, "Um, could you run a little faster?" And, <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I guess I could run faster." And he goes, "No, no, no, no. I mean, could you run more graceful?" And, and, oh wow! And I said. Uh, graceful, and he goes, "Yeah, not so choppy." Uh, and then finally, he throws his arms in the air, and he goes, "Can you run less Jewish?" Oh, wow. <laughs> wow! 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 We love that. And one. I knew immediately. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Stand up straight, basically. Okay. Really hey, <laughs> <laughs> You're like Bigfoot. <laughs> Lose the hunch. Lose the hunch. So we'll get to Dolomite. Mm-hmm. But I want to <laughs> talk about a bunch of other things. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that nobody cares about. I do. Well, first, we'll drive into a ditch. First, <laughs> I just want to talk for a couple minutes, and this yeah. is indulging my co-host again, because I did some deep research on Larry on uh, Trailers from Hell. Uh-oh. And <laughs> Larry has to be the only guy that would actually analyze Last of the Secret Agents. Last of the, the Secret Agents, The yes. Marty Allen. Yes. That's Steve a funny Rossi. movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and Gilbert loves, we have a Marty Allen fetish here. We have uh, him here. Hello, Dad. He refused to work blue on the show. He wouldn't tell any of his dirty jokes. Yes. Aww. He was like like 103. <laughs> yeah, but he was afraid of hurting his image. And he... 
he still dyed his hair, correct? Yes. yes. That was yes. always, that so was the always a terrifying thing about it because he looked he looked pretty dead, and then yeah. he had this, he, he, he had this hair. Yeah. Claims to have been a close personal friend of John Lennon's, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> He could, have, he could have been in that bed with Tommy Smothers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the loving with the uh, with Marty and Allen. We can't find it now, uh, but there is the um, Allen and Rossi song. Oh, oh uh, the Hello Dare song. Yeah. Oh, we'll play yeah. it. We'll put. We'll put it in post. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But last of the secret agents, which I just want to bring up, uh, directed by Bud Abbott's nephew of all people, and written by Mel Tolkien. Mel Tolkin. Oh, which is exactly. wild. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 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 It's not. It's. It's a. Not a very good Bond knockoff, but it's got a great theme song. It's got a great theme song. Uh, you know, I sort of make fun of it, I think, on the on the Trailers from Hell. I mean, because everyone's why I say, like, you know, the, uh, uh, it used to be Trailers from Hell meant that the Trailers from Hell was supposed to be like, you know, genre and, and, and movies that are that are, that are are sort of crappy. And um, uh, and we sort of go away from that now, and we try to do classy films. And so everyone's why I feel like we have to go back and do some you of that. You mix it up on your page. But that being said, it, it, that's actually it's actually a fairly funny movie. Like, I watched it again to do that trailer, and, and I felt kind of bad I was making fun of it. Cause it, it was, oh, really? Know, the guys are funny. The guys are funny, and I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for those late 60s so, Bond parodies. Who's his uh, Bud Abbott nephew director? Who is he? Norman Abbott. Yeah. yeah. Did he do anything else? I TV. I think that was his only yeah. feature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I remember, and I always always forget his name, even though he's been on the show five thousand times. The writer, Bill Persky. Bill Persky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill Persky. He hated them. He hated <laughs> Alan. Ross. Well, he and he and Sam Denoff, his partner, were hired as young writers to work for Sam Alan. Sam Denoff, who was Andy Kaufman's uncle. There you go. And, Very good. And, and then so Bill Persky said they brought him in to a club to watch them. And then they said... I think it was a bowling alley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they said to Bill afterwards, so what'd you think? And he said, you know, slaps his hands and goes, that was 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> He did hate no, them. No. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. This is because it is interesting because Trailers from Hell has moved a little bit away from. Yeah. The, it was, I mean, the, I think it was like Joe, Joe Dante. Well, it wasn't so much turkeys, but it was Joe Dante and and John Landis and guys like that talking right. about monster movies. Right. You know, it was really monster movies. Right. But you you do a lot of classy films on yeah, there, but you still have time yeah. to, to analyze Skidoo and Myra Breckenridge. Exactly. But Joe always gives me hell when I, oh, he's doing a subtitled movie. He's doing, you know, <laughs> Larry's talking about a subtitled movie today. Wait, come on. Uh, you're making Joe sound like he doesn't get it. No, no, no. He gets it. He gets it. He's like, oh, you're trying to class. Cla- he actually says, you're trying to class up the joint. We had Joe here. So let's just talk quickly about Skidoo. Skidoo. Yeah. Oh, Which boy. you called a car crash. It is a car crash. Yeah. And you said this. I love this line. You said you could sell a movie on Preminger's name, and then after Skidoo, they took the old man's keys. Yeah, we, we that's a phrase we use all the time. Is that at a certain point you you have to take away the old guy's uh-huh. keys? And uh, definitely Preminger, who's made some great movies. That last bunch of movies are just they're they're on another level. Julie just Moon in, and yeah, uh, tell me that you let me. Julie Moon and uh, uh, Bunny Lake is missing. Yeah, Bunny Lake is probably the last one that's yeah, kind of okay. Yeah. It's such good friends is out of its yeah. mind. It's just like a, a gun thriller. What is it? Oh, there is like Human Factor or something. Yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah I've, never, I've never seen yeah. it. I've never seen that one. Yeah. Two nights ago, speaking of horrible movies, uh, they actually had on the story of mankind. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. oh God. Wow. Yeah. Did you watch it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Groucho, Chico, and Harpo. Irwin Allen. Separately. Yep. Yeah. 
And Chico was completely, I mean, he... He doesn't even get a part. He's just a, he's a supporting monk. Yes. Right. right. They don't even write in a slight joke for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the Marx Brothers Facebook page is obsessed with Story of Mankind and what's Irwin Allen's fucking problem? You're very active on that page, on that Marx Brothers <laughs> I'm Society. Sorry. And so they give Irwin Allen a lot of grief. Like, what kind of a bonehead gets the three Marx Brothers to all show up in the same movie and then doesn't put them in a frame together? Yeah. But um, there's, there's sort of like a counter-argument, which is Irwin and Groucho were friends socially. And so Irwin called him up saying, can you do me a favor, show up in this shitty non-all-star extravaganza I'm putting together and I'll overpay you, you know, for two days of work. And then, you know, then, then Chico heard about this. Oh, you know? okay. And it became one of those things. And and at that point in his life, Groucho probably did not want to do another reunion. It's yeah. Sort of like he had shown up at the very end of the Incredible Jewel robbery and it's like, all right, we're done. We're, we're, do- we're done with the three-part the three part act. And so... He, there might have been just like backstage pressure. Like, I'm not getting in the frame with my brothers, which is, I love them dearly, but that act is finished. I'm not well, getting... You talked about but, that on Malton's podcast. I mean, they'd been they'd been together since what? He was 12, 11, some uh, crazy age? Yeah. 14? He, yeah, he was on and the he road was done. when he was 14, 15. Yeah, and yet Chico kept pulling him back in to and, do... Because uh, as the classic Groucho line is, <laughs> because Chico, Chico needed the money. money. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, uh, uh, somebody just just posted the the one sheet to the story of mankind, and it is really funny because it's supposed to be an all star film, but it doesn't have any stars in it. Yes, that's funny. It's like fourth bananas. Well, Ronald yes. Coleman's in it. Yeah, Ronald Coleman. <laughs> In the fifties, he is not a star. <laughs> well, that done. happens with a lot of all-star movies. It's basically they, you know, you. Uh, but usually there'll be like one Paul Newman or one, you know, Steve McQueen. Somebody like yeah. hold down the fort. It like yeah. when time ran out. Yeah, you, you get your Paul Newman and exactly. Your, yeah. It it's what I notice if William it's Holden. a movie, and it's got a bunch of people, then they'll name every single actor in it, and they'll scream their name out. <laughs> To make the names more important. <laughs> you know, if, if you have Al Pacino in a movie, you go, Al Pacino. But if you don't have that, you name a bunch of them <laughs> and you scream each right. one. Like, see, <laughs> they're important. We have Fritz Feld. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you see his documentary? Yes. Yeah. I th- doesn't it end with a Fritz Feld? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel sorry for the the uh, the people who make those all star comedies. I mean, the Mad Mad World knockoffs are the worst of the of the movies with big casts. The Irwin Allen movies, you know, you sort of accept that that you're going to have all of these Fred Astaire and and Robert well, Wagner. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're both big fans of Who's Buying the Mint, though. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Which that's really have a star in it either. See, you know? it's, a, it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think Who's Minding the Mint is the good version of Mad Mad World. That could be interesting. That's interesting. Mad Mad World is like I recommend everyone see it, but I, it's not that good. I've I've come to I've grown to love it. It was like it was like I initially it was very. Uh, I, I thought I was hipper than it's a mad, 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 mad world, and then, and then as I see it uh, uh, more recently with an audience too. That's the thing. See, when I audience, never saw it with it an audience, it kills with an audience. I mean, we, yeah. we, we've been spoiled in L.A. a couple times a year. The Cinerama Dome, which was built to screen Mad Mad World mm-hmm. opening day, wow. run, runs it on that big, big, stupidly giant screen, mm-hmm. and it sells out every time. And 
I I love the movie, and I am, and it's it's great to fight over that movie with with Drew, because <laughs> Drew just despises it. And, he does. And I'm the first to admit that it's got so many scenes that just don't work, and it's got it's got whole characters. I don't think Sid Caesar ever works in the movie. No, I'm not sure if Mickey Rooney ever works in the movie, but Johnny Winters kills every time he's yeah, on frame. The, the scene with Buddy Stan Hackett kills every time. Phil Silver's kill. So, that, so for me, the highs outweigh the lows. Yeah. Ethel yeah. Merman's funny. She's an acquired taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like her. And, and Dick Sean. Well, yes. When, Dick yes. Sean's amazing. He's funny at it. Well, when you were talking about the crappy all-star comedies, what, what, what well, was like in your mind? the big boss. And, oh, the big boss. And, and, oh, and welcome scav- to the scavenger big Scavenger hunt. Yeah, yeah. The hefty bag one. All right, fine. The million dollar mystery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mystery. oh that's right. the greatest. You've done Don't that on the show, right? We talked about it. We gave away garbage. Yes. Okay. What I remember about... I mean, has anyone seen the big bus in a long time? I mean, is there any chance it's... I just, it I don't even think I've ever hit DVD. There's also Wonton Ton. Wonton Ton. That's awful. Yeah. I, 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 I uh, was a member of a gym, which I'm not anymore. Don't worry. Thank God. And <laughs> I, I, I met an old time guy who was just very friendly to me, and he's sort of like, "What do you do?" Uh, screenwriter. He says, "Oh, I used to be a screenwriter." He says, "I go, what do you do?" He says, "You, you wouldn't have heard of me. You wouldn't have heard of my work." I go, "Try me." He says, "The big bus," and I uh-huh. just lit up. I said, "You're Fred Friedman." <laughs> Wow. Oh, wow. wow. And I, he, he was, it was just like, how about that? Happiest day of his life. Not James Frawley. <laughs> he, he directed, he directed it. it. Yeah, he just passed away. We're yeah, trying to get uh, him here. I, there's I, a I joke from Big Bus. I always, I've only saw the movie once, like when it came out, but there's a joke I always remember, which we, is the, uh, he's got a, he's got a broken milk carton. Cause they, cause, <laughs> what a stupid joke. And they, they're in a fight, and he picks up a milk carton, and he hits it on the table, and he's, he's using it as a weapon. You know? yeah. I remember in Mad Mad World, the one part made me laugh is uh, they're all arguing in one of those million arguments they have. Yes. And, and Ethel Merman says something to Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett's going, okay, you know, you do this, and you'll mm. take this, and you but And then he goes... And you, lady, you can drop dead. <laughs> yes, I sent you guys the trailer. Yes. I don't think you had seen it. I sent it to I sent it to Larry. Oh. Now, with them just I, cutting up. It's a, it's oh yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. Stan Freeberg yeah. directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's yeah. really cool. I yeah. never saw Myra Breckenridge, which is amazing. I thought it would have popped up on TV. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's filthy. It is a weird one. Yeah. Look at Larry's breakdown on trailers. It's um, it's. It's just not. It doesn't really work, which is a shame because it's like everything about it. Like if you look at the trailer, it's like you. I want to see that movie. I want to see where that movie where Raquel Welch uh, sodomizes a guy who's tied up, and <laughs> you know, I mean, it's out of, it's out of its mind. It's, it's got, your kind of thing. It's my kind of thing. Um, uh, but John Huston and Mae West, and it's just. But it just doesn't work. Rex Reed. Rex Reed. Yeah. So it's not an enjoyably awful movie. Not really. Have you sat through Sex Tet? Of course. Yes. Oh God, you guys. Sex Ted is is the end of the world officially. <laughs> She's so old, and I mean the the stories were that they built a whole of uh, like electronic uh, earwig thing into her wig. It was like early ear technology. <laughs> yeah. So she's got this like giant beehive wig, and then they're feeding her the lines because she can't remember anything, and she doesn't know what scene she's in. And so all, all these young men, it's Timothy Dalton trying to make love to May because she's the most beautiful woman in the world, but she's 800 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't even know they're in the room. Right. But, I mean, that, it, you just call she's on YouTube. She's Marty Allen. <laughs> yeah, just, just watch the Love Will, Love Will Keep Us Together. 
Wow. With oh. Timothy Dalton and Mae West, which actually, is it's stunning. There's I, a I, Mae I West auction going on right now. Like, I, actually, so, uh, someone sent it to me because they were, they were selling Mae West's uh, Myra Breckenridge scripts. <laughs> yeah. And what's the, three things that look, the three things that are up for auction is Mae West's uh, scripts from Myra Breckenridge, uh, Marilyn Monroe's prescriptions. Oh, oh, you just sent that email. And her psychiatrist couch. And her psychiatrist couch. And Waylon Flowers' Madame Puppet. <laughs> Gilbert, is, get in on this. this, yeah, is, which this is technically is, priceless. <laughs> yeah, it is technically priceless. <laughs> and was Tom Selleck in Sex Ted also? Ooh. Ooh. Wow. That sounds I think, right. I think he was. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, someone think, with a mustache. I think he yeah. was. <laughs> exactly. I, why, why do I think Alice Cooper was in it? Or, and, or Ringo? Ringo Ringo is, right. Ringo's, Ringo's, Ringo's in it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Why why would you sit and watch this stuff? I mean, I know you guys see everything. I saw it when it came out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the uh, old gossip columnist James Bacon, who, who <laughs> oh, the guy who, that used to drink with Gleason, yeah, and he yeah. was and he had a column in the Herald Examiner, and he he would, whatever he would he would plug his friends, and so him and May went way back, and so he did a column every day during the shooting of Sex Ted. So I was just like salivating for like opening day, so I could be the first one there. I mean, I'm not proud. But oh, I, I <laughs> it happened. The story you just told, where she had the earphones in, that at times, because it was a primitive uh, structure they built there, that like in the middle of the dialogue, she she'd say like, "Well, we're gonna be, we're at our cruising altitude." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, our seatbelt sign is still on. <laughs> How about Mame? Speaking of somebody who shouldn't be making movies anymore. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. that's that's unwatchable. Let's talk Dolomite. Sure. How did you segue guys... from Mame to Dolomite? Well, I don't. We don't do. We don't do smooth segues. Here. I'll, I'll plug one other thing though. That's, that's really bizarre. Go. Uh, that's uh, Mae West related. There's probably one of the most obscure weird movies of all time that no one's ever heard of. There's a movie called Dinah East. It's I not Mae West. It's Dinah East. And it's um, huh? it's about a uh, wow. It's about a uh, uh, it's basically runs with the rumor that Mae West was a man, and it, it's about it's a it's basically a, this uh, was a narrative feature, the narrative feature from like 1970 or something. Wow, like that. it's crazy. You guys see everything. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. It stars one of the one of the Warhol superstar people, like Ultraviolet or somebody, one of those, one of those people, or Viva or somebody. Yeah. 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 How did you guys <clears throat> become aware of uh, of Rudy Ray Moore? Because this is interesting on the the the, the sex and violence. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was uh, after college, six guys living in a house in Silver Lake, and our, our buddy Dan Waters. Who wrote Fort Fairlane? Who wrote Fort Fairlane? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's Mr. On active on Facebook, Dan Waters. Yeah, Dan was managing Video House. Uh, Video House was owned by two Chinese brothers who didn't understand anything about America. And so Dan just had free reign to order any tapes he wanted because <laughs> he didn't know English. Yeah, right. And so it was basically, it, it was an entire store of movies that Dan wanted to see. And so he ordered the best of sex and violence, which was two hours of trailers of exploitation films. Right. And Hosted by John Carradine. Great. Yes. This was a Charles Band joint, yes, right? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Band yeah. of the Hand. Wasn't that, what was his... Company called Empire. Right? Empire. Empire. Empire Pictures. Yeah, but there was something else. There was another there was a, movie. Oh, f- a full moon. Ba- Band of the Hand. There's a movie called Band of the Hand. That's, 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 that's Paul Michael Glazer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Different guy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they had a band. And they, uh, uh, Grandpa, it's okay. <laughs> what? They, they sing in the band? Do they, what? They got the band over there? <laughs> <laughs> but he was the guy behind this, and then you saw the Human Tornado trailer. It, it, and, yeah. the three, and others. It, it had Dolomite, Human Tornado, and Disco Godfather back to back. Right. And for all you 
All you crazy listeners, you can just, it's on YouTube. The Human Tornado trailer is out of its fucking it's mind. Wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's just great. three minutes of complete insanity and naked people and screaming and gunshots. And it, we would just watch that trailer over and over and over. And because Dan managed the store, we never returned the tape. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the rental days. <laughs> so you guys were well aware of him when you got the initial call to, yeah. to go meet Eddie. No, oh, like the, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We loved him. And, and, and after after that tape, Scott, for my birthday, you know, uh, uh, it was the days before you actually bought videotapes. Remember, remember the, they were $100 in the early days? Oh, yes. God. Yes. Yeah. VHS. So I, I, it was in the video stores, if you want to rent it, it was put up by a company called Xenon Video. So I opened the white pages and I looked up Xenon and they had a, like a warehouse and I drove out there with cash. <laughs> and I just showed up saying, I'm here to buy a copy of Human Tornado and Dolomite for my friend for his birthday. And they looked at me like, we don't have a cash register here. <laughs> <laughs> Can the change? Is that a retail They're store? They're still putting out those movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, still pictures. Do it. yeah. Still do it. That's how I got my hands on the DVDs. And, I, and then, then we became obsessed with them. And we saw all the movies. And Rudy, Rudy was actually around a little bit back then. In those days, like he played the Club Lingerie in, in Los Angeles. And I saw him. And, um, you know, the album covers were so outrageous and they were great oh, sure. you always, you know, if you ever you were in a used record stop store you could find one of his records and they were all so you saw him live before you got involved with Eddie and oh, then yeah, you met yeah, him yeah. okay no well Eddie, Eddie about 16 years ago we got a phone call um, uh, basically Eddie Murphy wanted to meet us and we're like oh cool Eddie Murphy wants to meet and so we went over there and we walked in and Eddie just started doing lines from Ed Wood I mean, literally, he was doing Tor Johnson. It was, that was fantastic. <laughs> surreal. Do my toes. <laughs> but it was like, it was Eddie Murphy doing it. It was like, so uh, you know, surreal. it was really surreal. It is. And then he said to us, do you guys know who, um, who Rudy Ray Moore is? And it was uh, this insane, great moment where I was just like, holy shit, we get it. Like, you want to make an Edward-style movie about Rudy Ray Moore with Eddie as Rudy. And it, it sounded like an amazing, amazing idea. And then you met Rudy. Yeah. And yeah. Then about a week later, we, we got in a room with Rudy and... Uh, that's funny. We we saw Eddie this morning, and he he was acting like Rudy didn't want the movie made. Yeah, but Rudy wanted the movie made. Oh, when, I'm sure. When, yeah, when I was ego. watching it, I couldn't help but thinking throughout the movie that he was kind of like a black Ed Wood. I mean, here's the we that's certainly how the movie got initially set up, and there's certainly parallels. Uh, the difference is that that um, uh, I think the first hour of, of Dolomite is really more about the X-rated album business and sure. about the Chitlin circuit, and the whole racial element uh, of Dolomite makes it a completely different experience. It's about you know the movie's about the fact that these guys can't get through the system because of the gatekeepers. And without being heavy-handed about it, so they they have to create their uh, a separate entertainment world. And uh, you know, even Rudy in black entertainment circles was not particularly accepted. Like he couldn't just go out and make black exploitation movies at American International or something like this. So he, uh, what we found fascinating about him was that here's a guy who like everybody said no to all the time. And yet he kept going, kept going. You kept said going. he didn't have any money because he was constantly reinvesting. His oh yeah, money yeah. He was, he was always betting yeah. on, always broke. on himself. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was this whole you know separate but equal thing going on with black entertainers. You know, as as late as the seventies. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and the and the Chilling Circuit sort of exemplified it. You know, where you know, Rudy and 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 his peers couldn't break in past you know the white gatekeepers and you know whatever. He wasn't playing the comedy store. Of course. Yeah. You know, of course. And, you know, but they were playing these, you know, black clubs through the South, which were, you know, for black performers to play for black audiences. And so, you know, there was this whole world of, you know, actors and writers and singers who, who couldn't get in. And then um, 
uh, Larry and I had had lunch with Glenn Turman, the great actor who goes back to Cooley High. Cooley High. Sure, yeah. I remember him. And Glenn was telling us stories about uh, this theater called the Inner City Cultural Center, where all these, uh, like some famous ones, like Paul Winfield, like black actors and actresses would hone their craft and, and perform there because they weren't getting jobs. They weren't getting cast at the Music Center, and they weren't getting cast on Rockford Files. And uh, and and then one one of the guys, the guy who ended up direct writing and directing Human Tornado and uh, Petey Wheatstraw, Cliff Roquemore, uh, directed a lot of plays there. And so we 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 put we put the Interstate Cultural Center into, into our movie too because we really wanted to hit this idea, uh, you know, of 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 these black artists having to do it themselves because no one was going to do it for them. Well, right. they're an odd couple too, uh, Rudy and and Jerry. Yeah, Rudy. Oh, Jerry, so, Jerry, Jerry is an artiste. But Jerry, well, Jerry took himself very seriously and 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 wrote the Jerry Jones, the Jerry Jones, the character that uh, Keegan Michael Key plays, uh, and his plays were very culturally significant. And uh, it's a, he's a completely odd person to be mixed up with Rudy Ray Moore because yeah. Rudy, uh, you know, uh, Rudy just wants the jokes. Someone made a joke this the other day that Rudy's like. Uh, He's the worst studio executive of all time. He just wants more titties, more explosions, <laughs> more kung fu. It's like that, no matter what the scene is, that's that's his, that's his solution to fix it. I, I mean, after Rudy died, uh, Larry did a, a night at the cinema check, and, and Jerry came down. Mm-hmm. And even as late as whatever year that was, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think he pa- he passed in two thousand eight, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jerry still didn't get the joke. Yeah, Jerry really? was still just talking about the films and. And their social value, <laughs> and we're we're telling it like it is in the streets. Yeah. And it's just like, pal, have you seen the film? <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry's gone now. I assume yeah, so. Yeah. He can't. Away. Yeah. He can't see he, this. Um, but you know, Jerry actually had a little bit of a career. I mean, Jerry's in two Robert Altman movies. He's in Mash, and he's in The Long Goodbye. Thought I recognized him. He's you'd be hard. To, I mean, he's got a real part in Long Goodbye. But in Mash, uh, if you remember the movie Mash. The opening scene is the, uh, a soldier gets his jeep stolen, and it actually it's in the opening scene, and the closing scene, and he's a, he's a soldier who gets the jeep okay. stolen. So he had some work in, in legit yeah, Hollywood. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I Dermot think, Martin too. I think it was when Ron Delsner was on the show. He was talking about well, they'd have black groups perform for free because they were told that this is the way you promote it. Even though they sure. were making money. Yeah, we had Willie Tyler here, too. He told oh, wow. some stories yes. stories yeah. about the Chitlin Circuit. And, and they said, like, a lot of times with the Chitlin Circle, is they would have a performer, and if they didn't feel like paying them, they wouldn't pay them. Yeah, so it's well, like the internet. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> like yeah. podcasting, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and to, to give oh, you props us. to Red Fox, yeah. you know, when he hit it, you know, when he hit the big money with Sanford and Son, LaWanda Page and, and Whitman Mayo... Yeah. They were yeah. chilling pals. Yeah. That's yeah. where they Bunch came from. Oh, yeah. Bunch She's in the guys. documentary about Rudy. Yeah. She's yeah. all over that thing. She loved Rudy. Her, her, they did, they, her uh, Rudy, and Wild Men Steve would occasionally and, do and, and uh, Blowfly, tours together. And Blowfly. Blowfly. Right. right. Come on, right, that right. sounds like a, what a great fucking show that would be. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. I could see Gilbert's point about <laughs> the similarities, though, because, you, because oh, yeah, of both films are made with affection. Yes. Great oh, I, affection I, for these two guys who are, who are who are you know, who assemble a team? Who they put, assemble they put a group a people who together. they really, yeah. you know, they're a bunch of misfits who kind of believe in themselves and and um, and you know uh, try to try to try to make art. They're lovable losers who strive exactly. to be who strive to well, be. Well, the so great much thing Eddie's more. always says about about Rudy is like he was a loser who refused to lose. That's great, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's funny because Eddie's original, what brought you guys to him was Ed Wood. Yeah. And I think this this also captures what's one of the yeah, things yeah. that's special about Ed Wood is that, that sense of a family yes. that comes together. And, and yeah. I think one of you, I forget which one of you said that without Rudy Ray Moore, there couldn't be an Eddie Murphy. I think Eddie's kind of said those kind of right. things. Too, I didn't yeah. say it. Yeah. Did you um, say it, Larry? I didn't say it. Uh, right. Well, take credit. Frank, did you say it? Frank, Not me. It. Yes. The, um, <laughs> I said it. You just heard But me. all those guys were well, like, influenced. Like, they were totally influenced, but they yeah. were also, it was more like like guys like Snoop says that. Snoop, Snoop, oh, yeah, Snoop, Snoop, Snoop has said, said that. Yeah. More, uh, yeah cause Eddie always talks about how he, he's, he's fascinated by Rudy because Eddie's life and Rudy's life, were they were totally different, where Eddie had instant success. Eddie never failed. Eddie never failed. Yeah. Like at 17, you know, mm-hmm. Eddie's, Eddie literally has auditioned once in his entire life and knows to get on SNL and everything, you know, like there, there was some SAGs, uh, uh, Q and A the other night and, um, and they, <laughs> everyone, everyone on the stage was asked like, how did you get your SAG card? Cause you're in SAG and everyone's, you know, Keegan and people, oh, I was in this commercial. I did this thing. I did, blah, blah, I, did blah. I did a walk on right. and, and sure. It got to Eddie. He's like, um, I think it was, uh, it was 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> But all those yeah. guys, Paul Mooney and Pryor yeah. and uh, and and Chris Rock and and Arsenio, I mean, they all give they all give uh, Rudy yeah. Ray Moore yeah. his props. Do you know that Eddie yes. has a as a Paul Mooney ventriloquist doll? That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now that's your next movie. Yeah, that's our next movie. Uh, yeah. I know that Craig Bierko has a Richard Kind doll. Oh wow! <laughs> Wait, is that true? Yes. I, yes, it, I'll send I'm you. I'm assuming a it was custom. <laughs> yeah, it was custom. It's not off the shelf. Oh, no, <laughs> not. I'll send you a picture. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right after this. That's what you say. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um. This is the podcast of Gilbert and Frank Direct from beautiful downtown Burbank Oh, it's New York And now, back to our show Back to the, the, the so the story. So nobody, you guys are even with Eddie attached. Nobody wants to make this movie. Yeah, no, Back it wasn't. It wasn't. Rudy Ray was still. Yeah, with and us. Yeah. Rudy, Rudy was excited, and you know, Rudy was always looking for respect and looking, looking for some more money and look, looking to to be, you know, bowed to as, as the guy who started it all. And the idea that you know Eddie's going to star in a big Hollywood movie about him was very exciting to Rudy. And he told us a bunch of stories, and then he ordered a lot of food, which he then made off with in brown bags afterwards. <laughs> Did he want to go on tour with Eddie? And yeah, he wanted, yeah. yeah, and then he tried to like you know sabotage it by trying to get Eddie just to go on the road instead. Hilarious. Let's go on the road together. <laughs> <laughs> but you said, but you guys felt that you know. But but it, it, his it, his story should be told. Oh, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. We were we were completely it, fascinated by this guy, and pretty, and and really fascinated with the idea of Eddie doing him. Uh huh. You know, what I mean, it was it for us. 
we're gigantic Eddie fans, and the idea of Eddie tackling this subject, it just became just kind of a, a irresistible. You know, it was, just, it was a movie we wanted to see. Absolutely. That's, I think, the thing that Scott and I uh, are very proud of, the fact that we kind of write movies that we want to see. And that, that just sounded too good. But no one would buy it. And so it, it all went away, and it just went away, and, and we Rudy all died, moved and moved on. And um, every once in a while, I would hear like so someone's going to reboot Dolomite. There's always been, like, you know, a remake Dolomite, and it would turn the, up in pop culture on Mad TV yeah, yeah, yeah. and things and, like that. And sometimes we, we get phone calls. We we, we want to do the new Dolomite. Yeah, or we want to we want to do a Rudy movie, and they'd show up in our office and yeah. give us their song and dance. And we'd say, look, look we're not going to work on your project, but we'll be the first ones in line. Yeah, great. We'll buy a ticket. And then no one made it. No one did it. No one. No, it never got developed at all. And so, um, so I got like another fifteen years goes by, yeah. which is just absurd. Uh, and then after OJ, um, you know, you know, in this business, you're hot, you're cold, you're hot, you're cold. And so we were, you know, hot for ten more minutes. And so there was this moment where we could go set up the crazy Rudy movie. You again. had a little capital. And yeah. we were meeting with John Davis and John Fox, uh, and they John's worked with Eddie many times, and we started telling him about it. And he says, well, "Let's give him a call." And so we called up Eddie, and he says, well, come on over. Let's talk about this. And the next day, Eddie says, all right, let's do it. Yeah, which was great because we didn't know that we, I mean, Eddie, is, I wouldn't say was semi-retired, but he, he was. Yeah, I mean, he, he really hadn't made a movie sure. in a long time. The amazing thing, Eddie hasn't said fuck in a movie for over 20 years. And you said that last night. That's yeah. great. You also um, said he was a little subdued when you were first pitching it to him, and then gradually he sort of started yeah, to, yeah. He sort yeah, of I mean, started I mean, to come I mean, alive. Gilbert, I mean, you, I mean, you know, Eddie, and, and that, or maybe you, you, know, you know some comics. <laughs> you know, where when they're not on, they're off. Yeah. And, you know, we were sort of like doing our, our spiel with, with Eddie, and he's just very quiet and just head down and just kind of taking it in. And then the light, like, comes into his eyes, and then his shoulders rise, and then he's, his, his body starts, like, turning into Rudy Ray Moore, and then suddenly, down in the jungle deep. Yeah. And then the magic happens, and we go, okay, he's in. I have to and say, and that's also also strange enough that we felt something similar with with Rudy when we had those meetings with Rudy. That Rudy, we were all expecting Dolomite to walk in, you know, mm-hmm. this, this 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 braggart, this big guy, and when and that was certainly there. Where Rudy was that, but he also was just that quiet guy eating lunch and talking to you know. And so it was one of those things where we realized that Dolomite was a character he created. And in a sense, that became almost the thesis of our movie, which is why it's called Dolomite Is My Name. It's about the creation of this other person that, that becomes the star. And, then, and the real person, you know, seemed vulnerable and a bit wounded and whatever. He'd had his ass kicked a lot of times oh, sure. over the years. And <laughs> yeah. But he's a, a, long, a survivor. It's a long road. He's been, on, he's been playing comedy clubs for 50 years. And, and didn't he, and it shows he originally got the idea for the Dolomite character from like, Basically, a street guy. A wine oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, hobos. Yeah, I mean, there were there were there were old hobo stories. You they're know? hobos. Yeah, they're um they're these like African American toasts. They go back hundreds of years. And the you know uh, it's funny. Everyone every, every once in a while, someone will ask us like, "Well, did those guys ever get any royalties from the, from the records?" <laughs> <laughs> and, it's like, um, and no, no. But it's funny. It really it bugs some people. And I always say it's like um, if we made a movie about Pete Seeger. And Pete Seeger went out to some like you know uh, a homeless sh- uh, encampment, and they were singing old folk songs. And he took them back and played Carnegie Hall. You wouldn't be like, "Hey, wait a second, wait a second, <laughs> yeah." Pete Seeger stealing those those uh, 
you know. It was really smart of him to do. Yeah, you, you, I mean, he improved, I mean, whatever, he worked them. He, he worked he, on he, them. You know, but, but it's not like Rico, the bum, invented Signifying Monkey. Right. That wasn't that wasn't Rico's creation. He put dirty spins on it, and then Rudy put his dirty spins on it. Yeah. And there's that weird character in Dolomite that I guess is Creep, what is his name, Cre- Creepo? Or oh, Creeper. The Creeper. The, 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 the real Dolomite. In, in, in like, the original Dolomite. Yeah, in the original Dolomite yeah. movie. Yeah. What's amazing about that guy? I mean, he's just on another level. He's unbelievable. Uh, but <laughs> he, was he a real he's, junkie? He's a real yes, junkie. Yes, and he's real strung ju- out on camera. <laughs> yeah. He's just totally strung it's out on clear. camera. But he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing Rudy Ray Moore merch. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing in the middle of this movie. He's wearing a, a Rudy Ray Moore well, he must T-shirt. Have, he must have not had a shirt. Must, yeah, must not have. So I gave it to him, but they they reverse it so it's like white on the outside. But you can totally see Rudy Ray Moore's face and his name backwards. Uh, yeah. The yeah. first time you watched Dolomite, I mean, not- that, that, that is a recurring theme in Rudy's movies that the 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 product placement of himself. Yeah, there's there's some scenes. In the movie where he's playing Dolomite, but there'll be a Rudy Ray Moore album on the wall behind him, yeah. which makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just—it's sort of like for set deck, it's all they got. It's well, I think, I think violates actually, Gilbert's yeah. rules of the universe. I yeah. think there's actually there's actually a scene in, in, in Dolomite where they, a lot of the movies the movies just stop cold for nightclub sequences. For almost all the movies, just. Just shut down. And uh-huh. You'll see. You'll see. Right. Uh, several people have songs, and some of them people have dancers come out. And uh, at one point, Lenny Glader Reed says, "Give it up for Mr. Rudy Ray Moore." <laughs> and that's not who he's playing in the movie. <laughs> that's not who he's playing. Um, but it's funny because we there's a scene in the movie where uh, Jerry Jones and Rudy are talking about you know writing the screenplay, and you know Jerry says, "You, know, you got to write what you know." And when you look at Rudy's movies, he actually did. Make movies about what he knew. They all revolve around a nightclub. Yep. They all revolve around like booking problems <laughs> and gangsters coming Pimps. into the nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the plot of uh, they're all about nightclub cash flow. Yeah. Which one is it where the where where Skillet and Leroy actually murder an entire church of people just because <laughs> just because in slow motion in slow motion because uh, Rudy Ray is going to open his open his uh, his his, his rock competing nightclub on a Friday night that they they got another big act coming that's so not P- is that, that's not Petey Weetraw that's Petey Weetraw yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's Petey Weetraw that one is Petey Weetraw amazing yeah that's the one, that one is out of its mind out start of its mind yeah yeah. I mean, well, you could say that about all of them in yeah, a way. Yeah. But the P.D. Weestraw is surrealism. Yeah. V- very, very, very strange. I mean, we tried to do, even though technically the movie is about the making of Dolomite, there's little bits and pieces of all the movies kind of in there. Um, we, you know, there's so many You snuck the, great, the, the sex scene with yeah, the from ceiling human collapses tornado. from that, Human Tornado. There's so many great things in Human Tornado that, that we feel like the fans the fans yeah. want to see that stuff. And there's things like, you you know, put, right. your, put your weight on it. It's from Disco Godfather. You know, he's got the pimp cane near the hands at the end of the thing. That, that's 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 Petey Wheatstraw's pimp cane, <laughs> you know. Even Disco Godfather. I mean, all of them. Was yeah. was uh, was the the NAACP was was pushing back at certain point against black exploitation? Yes. Yes. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. why Disco? It was really, uh, there, was, there was Rudy, an organization called CORE, Congress of Racial Equality. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rudy came in late. Rudy yeah. came in at the tail end of black exploitation, so CORE was already pushing back against studios and theater owners about about these these Negative bad trails, bad yeah. images of African Americans. Right. And I mean, the uh, people in Hollywood didn't like this pushback because the black actors and actresses were getting jobs. Yeah, and so these movies started getting toned down and stopped getting made, and that's when Rudy hit. So it it started becoming yeah. diminishing returns after Human Tornado because 
the tide had turned, and now you've got Cornbread Earl and me. Yeah. Sure, sure. In, I mean, Disco Godfather, he's almost, he's almost a responsible Dracula. character. Well, no, he he's, is. He's trying to clean up drugs. He's fighting crime. Disco yeah. Godfather is a problematic movie. Yeah, you don't want to see him fighting crime. No. You want to see him yeah, no. shooting... Fucking up motherfuckers. Fucking yeah. up motherfuckers on an L.A. street. It, it's like one of those <laughs> movies with like old comics who would make a lot of crazy comedies, and then they become middle-aged, and then they become nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you kind of turn against them. Mm-hmm. And it was almost it happened prematurely with Disco Godfather, where now he has to be the good guy. Well, so and Mark, nobody wants him to be it, the good it's guy. Like Absolutely Eddie, not. Eddie Murphy did his share of like of kids movies. Sure, yeah. I mean, I was thinking like, even the Marsh Brothers, where even you know when they go to MGM, they stop being anarchists. Oh, they always they they want to help the lady keep the sanitarium. It's yeah, awful. You know they, what they, I mean? they want to help goes, and bring the couple together. together. Who cares about that couple? Yeah, Harpo goes from being an anarchist to a guy. By being beaten to like yeah, a, to yeah. a victim no, he's always, by, he's always by, being by, by a oh. tenor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's chaplain. Yeah. The late Marx Brothers movies were horrible. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I do defend Night in Casablanca. Yeah, it's a, yeah. sort of a blip. I, I think it's terrific. Yeah, I need to see it again. Who told you guys back in the day? And this is interesting too. Never write for a star. Okay, be- that was that was our, our agent of more than twenty years, Tom Strickler, who said to us. He told us horror stories from CAA back in the 80s and early 90s where people would develop for the biggest movie stars in the world, and CAA had more stars than there are in MGM in 1940. And all these stars, these stars would be attached to all these scripts around town, and the secret that the writers never knew was that the stars never read the scripts. Yeah, They might not even be aware of the scripts. And then the stars would show up for a meeting twice a year, and there'd be a big stack, and the agent they would go, all right, what's that? All right, this one is about a dad who loses his job. So he and his family are going to move to... Pass. Yeah. Oh, all right, pass, fine. Here's a Western. All right, okay, this one's a Western. Pass, I don't like horses. All right. all right, fine, moving on. And so the writer is unaware that after doing a year of work, he got as far as three seconds into an agent just pitching the cover page of his script. And so our agent said, don't ever write for a star because you do all this work and if the star... Odds are the star won't even read it, right. and then your script is dead. Also, and, what happens too is, uh, you know, uh, you get really excited when a star wants to be attached to your project, uh, and, but it takes you like six, eight months to write it or whatever it is. So you go off and write it, and in the meantime, they, you know, they go off to do a Quentin Tarantino movie or they go off to do a Michael Mann movie or something. Else, and all of a sudden, it's all about like, oh, oh they, even if they if they like it, they're like, oh, I want to do it. I'm going to do it in two years after I do this, and then by the time two years comes up, it's on the old script, and they don't longer want to do it anymore. So it's uh, it, it's allowed us. By not attaching stars to our thing, it's allowed us to be like a little more like Big Eyes, for example, took a long time to make, and we kept on casting it and uncasting it. But 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 we always owned the script, and we always were able to get out of those situations where we weren't just attached with one with one with one sure. company or one star. And yet, in this case, you were writing we for broke, a star. This, we and, broke and, the and, and rule relishing it. Yes. because this yeah. this one was special, and uh, we sold it to, to Netflix. And Ed, Eddie came in the room, and they said, "Once you got Eddie in the room, it's a slam dunk." And Larry and I internally decided we don't care what anyone thinks. We only care about Eddie. I mean, with no disrespect to our employers and our producers, if Eddie loves this, the movie goes. And if Eddie doesn't dig it, 
why is Netflix going to make this movie? The whole point of it was to bring back Eddie and sure, you know, it's reflexive in that way. It's yeah. a tribute to both yes. men. It's and a Ray really tribute, and, and it's so an Eddie Murphy. Tribute. Every day, you know, we we would come in and you know we would be writing a scene, and then we'd say, and then there's a magazine stand, and let's see what can be on the ma- ooh players magazine <laughs> that'll be on the magazine stand, yeah. which Eddie will get. Oh, you put Easter eggs in there. Yeah. We put yeah. in Easter eggs just for Eddie. We That's wanted to great. make him happy. Yeah. That's great. Uh. I had a question, and this is interesting, too. I heard you guys talking at Leonard <laughs> Moulton. This is like a beautiful mind over here. Index cards. You were talking. Like, don't talk to you. I have a question, and, and this is going to be interesting. It's like, it's like, not like that other stuff you guys have been talking about for 45 minutes. This is actually an interesting one. This, this will be... Here. We're going to also talk about bad biopics, because Gilbert has an issue with uh, bad uh, exposition. And, oh, bi- and, bi- sure. and biopics. Oh, yeah. yeah. well, well, like my my favorite is <laughs> well is is the uh, uh, Ke- Kevin Spacey. Oh, Beyond the Sea. Yeah. Okay. And John. Goodman, so far, so good. <laughs> John Goodman's his manager, and and Kevin Spacey as Bobby Darren says, "Look at me. I'm like whatever years old, and I haven't achieved anything." And then. Uh, John Goodman has this long speech of, what are you talking about, Bobby? You've had five albums that went platinum. You've had seven gold albums. You've been picked performer of the year 20 times in a row. Uh, You were nominated for an Academy Award. And, and, I mean, it just gives, reads up a list. That's hysterical. He reads Bobby Darren's Wikipedia page. Yes. It's the clumsy modern-day version of spinning newspapers. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, I mean, it's a sign of, of, of of bad screenwriting when there's two characters and they're discussing information that they both know already. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's to be avoided at all costs. Like, it's just for the we've, audience. We've it's known, for the audience. Yeah. Like, we've known each other since we were kids. And <laughs> you're a doctor and I'm a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. and, and, you, and you were married to Brenda, but then you got divorced. Yes. You had an alcohol problem. <laughs> but, I, but I find it interesting that you guys you guys knew so much about your subjects. You're so deep into these movies that it made you harder to replace than typical screenwriters. Well, you, you, I think that's one of the reasons we, we really embrace. Yeah, we yeah. embrace the true story genre in that we, um, uh, on these projects, it's harder to it's it's harder to replace you. And on a family comedy, they can just hire anybody else sure. to come write Any jokes. Schmuck. Any schmuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on these films, it's a little bit you know they can decide definitely decide not to make it. That's totally fine. But it's harder to. Um, you know, we're sort of the uh, the experts on that on this subject because these are very obscure people. It's not we're not doing like you know Abraham Lincoln or something. We're we're doing you know so and so of course. And that's also made us much more a part of the production because uh, and luckily we've worked with really cool directors very like smart. like like Craig and things like that, who you know invite us in to talk to you know the the set people or the or the costume people because we have. We have pictures. We we can we can tell them what you know. Like on Ed Wood, we, uh, we you know we can show them what Tor Johnson's house looked like, and so you become a part of the process. And actors always have those questions about what's real, what's not real. Of course. And uh, the craziest thing is, is legal affairs. We're we're like we're the only writers in town who actually have like you know on a first name basis with legal affairs people because we always have to have all these clearance issues about you know what's real, what's not real, who's real, what 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 where does that film come from, where does this go, you know where does that go. 
So you're their best friend. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you yeah. said last night you're the you're the you're the opposite of that. You're the enemy of 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 what production managers. Production managers because we love pointless locations. <laughs> we love to have characters drive up to see. All right. So and back to problem child. So <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey played a character named Mr. Peabody, and so uh, his first name Igor. Igor yeah. Peabody. Wow. But, yes. Good memory. Sorry. Good memory. And, and and Ben and Flo Healy need to go meet with him. <laughs> I feel so. So the way Scott and Larry ride a scene is is Ben and Flo drive a car, and then they pull up to a parking garage, and they have to get their ticket validated, and then they get out of the car, and then they walk across a plaza to a building, and then the guy at the bottom says, "You got to go up to the fourth floor," and then they go up, and then they're here to see Mr. Peabody. But first, someone has to offer them a beverage. <laughs> we always have the beverage scene. And then they will finally get into the room with a character. And, the, and meanwhile, there have been 11 other locations that had to be filmed. Yeah. And and so we're, we're very indulgent that way. We For some reason, we just love the pointless process of life. <laughs> all, all the junk you have to go do to get to get through the important thing. What's the one you lost, the, the scene you lost in, in Dolomite that you said you were sad about? Um, because it was a great, it, it, well, it's great the, it, location, right? Um, well, here, here's a, here's a random one. When 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 you people see the movie or whatever, this this podcast isn't dropping today. So is it oh, dropping? Because you mentioned that those coming out today. Is it, is it, no, next week. Next week. Fine. All right. Yeah, so that, everyone's yeah. seen it by now. Yeah. All right. So so when the when the white boys show up, when the when the UCLA students show up, we had a driving up scene, mm-hmm. uh, which which was fun. Uh, which was uh, you know a bunch of these white college kids driving a little VW Bug. You know, looking for a studio, looking for a soundstage, and they're lost. And whatever, there's no ways in 1974. They don't know what's going on, and they're all nervous. And then they pass a dead body <laughs> on the sidewalk. And they're not sure it's dead. They're like, is that sure. guy dead? Or is that guy, that guy just yeah, passed and, out? And, and they're freaking out. And that was the setup. And then they walk onto the onto the set. You know, and at the end of the day, driving scenes are a nightmare to, yeah. to film. Because the director is like riding the back of a truck, and there's walkie-talkies, and no one can hear anybody, and you have to close down the street with policemen, and so driving. Yeah. All the driving scenes actually got cut out of Dolomite. None of them got filmed. We had we had a bunch of them, oh, wow. and in the in the movie, you watch the film, and and the and the, the kids just walk into the door, and it's fine. It was unnecessary. Yeah. Let's come back to Dolomite, but just because it's the 25th anniversary, just a couple of quick things about Ed Wood. Yes, sir. And we told you we had Rick Baker here, and we were talking about. And he's obviously a very big fan of the movie and you guys. And he was talking about the challenges of turning Martin Landau <clears throat> into Bela mm-hmm. because they had very different faces. So I got a question here from a listener, Eric Connor. He says, I need to ask the guys, did they pump up the Ed and Bela relationship once Tim Burton expressed interest to reflect his own bond with Vincent Price? Um, I don't know if we pumped it up as much as uh, we because we always referred to the project even before Tim got involved as Ed and Bela Love Story. Uh, but knowing Tim's relationship with Vincent Price, uh, I we definitely we knew that this was you know it was going to be even more important. I that was we way might of, have added scenes. Yeah, but we added. I remember whenever we tried to add something that that would that was designed for Tim, uh, it didn't it wound up not happening. Like we wrote a scene where uh, Bella liked to go to like uh, like run out in cemeteries and, and hang out in cemeteries, and so we wrote this whole scene where him and he, he sort of dances around a cemetery with Ed. And um, uh, it was very Tim Burton esque, and it was like the first thing Tim cut. I think no, no, Larry, it got shot. It only got shot. I'm saying, I'm saying, but the, oh I, yeah, I, yeah, I never, yeah. I never, I never saw right, it right, in, right, a, right. In, a, in, a, in a in a completed film. Yeah, I, I mean, we met with Tim before we wrote the script on spec, but we didn't meet Tim before we wrote it. Mm-hmm. And and so we, 
again, you're playing to, to your audience. We wanted Tim to love it. And and so we suddenly, in modern parlance, leaned into Ed and Bella. Yeah. Because you were coming off of Problem Child, and you, you wrote a couple of projects. No, we're coming off of Problem Child 2. Try, excuse yeah. me, Problem Child 2. And you said you, <laughs> you, you, you wrote some, I'm trying to remember what the, what the word was you used, you used some, some smart-alecky scripts or, or super-smart scripts that nobody was buying into when you guys realized you had to write something yeah, on spec. Well, no, the, there were pitches, really. Pitches, yeah, we, yeah. We, it was around the time of the David Souter Supreme Court confirmation battle. That's how long ago. And we had the idea for a Supreme Court satire about a fight over a guy being seated. Okay. And we came up with a snazzy, dazzy, smart-ass three-act pitch, and we pitched around town. People thought it was really impressive and clever, and they said, but you guys aren't good enough to write it. Yeah, you guys write problem child movies. Gilbert, Gilbert had killed our career is really what happened. You guys write Godfrey vehicles. You cry for Gilbert. Do you, do you Go know, back to Godfrey. Yeah. That gets me to another story where Larry, uh, there was one time I did a pilot for Cinemax called Norman's Corner, and Larry David wrote it. Okay. Oh, wow. And it was so bad that years later when they were pitching Seinfeld, uh, they said, well, who's going to be uh, the main writer on this? And they said, Larry David. And, and one of the execs at NBC said, isn't he the guy that wrote that piece of shit for Gilbert Gottfried? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. What a good memory. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, was, sweet, it was toxic. It was a sweet memory. It was toxic. I, yeah. It was so bad, I almost kept Seinfeld from being a shit. <laughs> exactly. It's an inspiring wow. story to all writers because you guys, it was a Hail Mary pass. Let's write something that we love. Let's yes, write something yes, that's correct. important to us, even if it's only important to us. Well, correct. we thought, and our, you got in it. all fairness, we thought we were going to uh, Rudy Ray Moore in a weird way. I mean, we were writing, a, a, and when we came up with the idea, it was the it was to make like a Sundance movie. It was you thought to make it was going to be fringe. Yeah, that was going like to be super see. fringe. We thought we were going to go make a two million dollar fringe movie. Yeah, and then that was Tim our Burton, goal. That was our goal, and because the studio system had made us make Problem Child. So, uh, uh, but when Tim got involved, all of a sudden it became like you know the biggest deal that that ever happened to us. Big turning point. Yes, very big. Yes. Tell us about Landau too, because we lost him since we last saw yes. you guys. Yes. Oh my God, what He's a, such a good guy. What a sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, we were total fanboys with Martin, you know. So we would just, you know, sit at his feet on the set every day and indulge him with, while well, he tell us Marilyn Monroe stories and James Dean stories, and close to Dean, very much. stories, yeah. and you know that that was just so delightful. He was such a piece of history, and he had such a warm attitude. And Tim had cast him. Uh, Tim was being a little snarky, but truthful, saying he's had the same career as Lugosi. That he was in North by Northwest, and he was in the Harlem Globetrotters on oh, Gilligan's yes. Island. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He's seen the highs, and he's seen Absolutely. the lowest of the lows. Right. And so he knows what it's like. And and Martin was very sort of, he could laugh at all that stuff. And, you know, he'd have this career that just went back forever. Sure. And he he, he just he, he loved the process. He, he just loved being on the set and hanging out. And we, we stayed in touch with Martin in, until he passed away, which yeah. was really lovely. Um, you, we could not throw a secret screening of Edwood anywhere in Southern California without Martin just showing up. That's great. Yeah, Aww. it that was, was funny. Amazing. We, we would we would book someplace like the New Beverly. Well, no, or, 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 New Beverly yeah. was a double feature of Problem Child and Ed Wood. Yeah, wow. That was the only time Problem Child's been shown theatrically in the last twenty years. Yeah. And we got and a phone Martin, call. We, we, and Martin we, shows up. We got a phone call from New Beverly. <laughs> I think Martin Landau wants to come to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. It's like, does he understand as a problem child of it? <laughs> uh, but here's the thing that happened at that screening. You guys would love this. Um, Martin, uh, we hung out with Martin afterwards, and Martin was, I, I, I have another idea for you guys. Oh, yes. And he started doing Karloff. He had totally perfected a Karloff old, imitation. Old Karloff. Old Karloff. Yeah. And he was like, let's make a movie about targets, about the making of targets. Wow. And, Not a bad you know, idea. That's a great huh? idea, actually, yeah. <laughs> and so he was like about, you know, an old horror story who's, who's coming into New Holy Hollywood. Shit. And it's like, you know, the old, it's like it's, the theme of Target, which is old, which is old, yeah. old horror and new horror. And his Karloff was spot on. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Oh, about that. Now it kills me that we didn't get him here. Exactly. We tried. His health was just so yeah, touch yeah. and go, but we yeah. tried. We tried hard to get him here. Yeah. yeah. So was God, anybody and ever? That, and that's a movie. I'm thinking. Oh Christ! Why wasn't that movie made? Yeah. 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 That would have been. Yeah. Was anybody when you guys were writing the script? I mean, that must have been one of the challenges that popped in your head. Who the fuck's going to play B- Bela Lugosi convincingly? <laughs> it didn't cross our minds. Didn't yeah. you? We, knew you'd we, find we're somebody. Ju- we're just picturing Bela Lugosi. Yeah, that's the benefit of writing the true life movies. You kind of just think of the real people until, right? It becomes and 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 and, the and we problem. had a certain cockiness while we were writing it, even though we were unemployable, which was that <laughs> we'll get someone great because yeah. it's that kind of part. He's old. He's he's Hollywood. He's got an accent. He's got a drug problem, and he dies. Yeah. We're, so it's a good part for an old guy. Yeah, yeah. we knew writing it that it was it was it was, it was going to be awards bait for that particular <laughs> that particular part. And Martin was on a roll at that point. Martin sure. was coming off of Crimes and Misdemeanors and Tucker, and Tucker. so he yeah. he'd gotten two Oscar nominations back to back. Yeah. Um, what a but what a wild Hollywood story this is that yeah, you guys yeah. you guys just say well, we're just gonna we're gonna write this this fringe movie this vanity project. Winds up winning an Academy Award. I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know. A crazy None journey. of us are young, but like looking back on it, it's like, wow, we made a movie with a guy who's one of the stars of North by Northwest. Pretty yeah. cool. How weird is that? Yeah. Pretty, pretty goddamn cool. That now you got me thinking about that Targets movie. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Yeah. Here's a question from our mutual pal Michael Weber, who you guys were hanging uh, out with yes, last Michael night. Yes, Michael Weber. Uh. Some of my favorite part of Dolomite was, uh, uh, Dolomite is my name, were the recreation scenes. Uh, he says this, that was the most fun they had making Disaster Artists with the shot-by-shot recreation right, right, right. from the room. Uh, so were there any Dolomite scenes you wanted to recreate but didn't? Oh, oh. That's, a great, that's an interesting question. Okay. I mean, we certainly uh, there were certainly scenes that were in the script that didn't get shot. There was a, um, there's a, there's a preacher character. Who's, uh, oh, yes. who's smuggling guns? And there's a there's a there's a scene where Rudy walks into a church and baby it sure is a spooky joint and uh, and the and the people in the caskets are actually got machine guns. Is that where and, she says I'm afraid of seeing ghosts. Oh, yes, she says if you yeah. see a ghost, cut it. Um, uh, uh, yeah. the, the actor <laughs> actor is Wes Gale. Wes, Wes Gale, Gale, yeah, right. And uh, he gone too. I'm assuming. He, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, yeah. He, he he's a little mysterious. Um, but when we researched Wes, uh. If you look at his IMDb page, he has a bunch of appearances as Jungle Native. Yeah, uh, in like uh, like Bamba, the the Jungle Boy kind of cereals. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, like Republic cereals from the '40s and '50s, and then early Jungle TV shows. And they would always have the Jungle Savages. Right. And we had him as a character, and we and we gave him this whole speech about these young, a couple of like young. Uh, good-looking young black guys who've been brought in for a day or something, and they're kind of making fun of me. He says, 
you guys have no idea what it used to be like. Yeah. It's like we would wow. play Savage number one, Native number two, Spear Chucker number three. You know, yeah, you're, you're, you're living in a more enlightened time, so shut the fuck up. Right. Wow. Give, and, give, 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 give Eddie props. He's employing us, and we're actually playing people. In Rudy. I'm, I'm sorry. I do that yeah. all the time. I actually, I actually <laughs> use Rudy now. and Eddie yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. so, so that, that was like we, we try to bring in int- yeah. interesting history lessons, but the scene got cut and the character got cut. One of the sweetest things in the, in the, in the movie is his relationship with, uh, with Lady Reed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like a platonic love story. Yeah, yeah, it it's is. Very, it's very sweet. You know, that yeah. he he kind of rescued her from yeah from the, from, from the yeah. We didn't actually know that much about Lady Reed, um, but uh, you know, we knew of a couple things that that you know she had a son, and uh, that you know Rudy had discovered her on the road, and also just the way he put out her albums. Those always like Rudy Ray Moore presents you know yeah. Lady Reed as yeah. Queen Bee as well. She had a she had double persona as well. It was Lady Reed and Queen Bee, um, and we just. It, there was something about it that just felt like there was an affection between these two characters where they were sort of like, she was different than all the other buddies. You know what I mean? Yeah. She, was, she had her own little platform. And she and even in the movies where it's like the movie uh, Dolomite, it's like Lady Reed is a special friend to Rudy. Sure. And so it just became, uh, you know, uh, it became it just became that character. Well, it's touching, too, that she's talking about how, you know, you don't see me on the big screen, that you guys managed to get something of, of real substance in there, too. Yeah. About, yes. uh, uh, you know, about... Representation, uh, representation. I mean, the movie is about representation. Thereof, exactly. exactly of representation. It's well, one it's of funny. My favorite uh, parts of the movie. Divine Joy Randolph. Uh, she was great. Has, yeah, has, says um, when she did that scene, she felt she wasn't really acting. That she was literally just expressing how she felt to Eddie about being in this movie and being, a, you know, having to play a character like this because she's never seen someone look like her on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 one of the best parts of the movie. Thank you. Uh, I Thanks. just and I was talking to you guys about this off off mic, but Der, uh, Derville Martin, Derville an, Martin, another fascinating character. And I was saying to Scott, he wasn't as Fay as as Wesley Snipes <laughs> no. plays him okay. in the movie. All right, here's you, here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. So we wrote this script, and it's about rooting a bunch of his you know wacky wannabe friends, and then they hire this one experienced real person, a person with credits. Yeah. He has an agent. He works with Blansky. <laughs> he's, right. he's been employed right. by Paramount Studios. He's in Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And so he he represents real working actor. And so the and then you know we the casting of this it sort of became like you know Mad Mad World and that every comic in town wanted to be in the movie. And so the everyone in the film is a comic except for Durville. And so the idea was let's cast an actor with gravitas who will. Be have a different energy than everybody else. He was Smart. serious. He was uh, he was a serious guy. He's a real he's a real person. He's not a goof. And so we cast Wesley, who's whatever. He's a great fucking actor. And we like to think that driving to this set on his first day, he said, "What the hell? Everyone gets to be funny, but me? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this! Oh. <laughs> what can I do?" <laughs> And we were we were there on on his first day when he just suddenly turned into this wacky <laughs> guy with the with the pinkies. It kind of works. Oh, it's, it's amazing. So yeah. funny. It works. It, it, it works because he, and he didn't change the lines. He's he's just reinterpreting it as this is what a a real Hollywood person looks like. Yeah. <laughs> he's just no kinda, that that was that was that was really 
made an impression on on me and then that he didn't really change the lines. No. He didn't change the lines but completely reinterpreted the part and it showed what you could do and what a different actor can do and and he's 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 the funniest he's one of the funniest things in the movie. He he's really a, is. He kills. He really is. Yeah. Uh here's just a gen- uh, a, a generic question for you guys. <laughs> a generic question. Best biopic that you guys didn't write Ooh. in your opinions. That's we got some bad question. ones written down here. Yeah, the bad ones are obvious. Yeah. Um um Milos made a good one. Yes, I mean Amadeus is Amadeus great. is fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um yeah. Capote is quite good. Yes. And, you know, um I'm a big fan of Patton, but Patton goes against my rules about that three hour, you know, great man kind of biopic. But Patton is Patton, I, if you can see Patton on the big screen, it's, it's I notice you've got a lot of rules. Like you don't like films with punctuation in the titles. Well, the, the question mark. <laughs> you don't like question marks. I, you know, I thought that, but <laughs> but actually I find I find that there's actually a lot of movies that are like, you know, uh, uh What's Up Doc has a, That's a good know, one. That's a good one. What what's up doc is my is, is officially my favorite. Film. That's not so, a biopic, though. No, but any anytime I, I <laughs> really? like, I, I like included in an email to somebody about something. It's so hard to write it because it's got a comma and a question mark. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so if, the, if it's in the middle of a sentence, you, you don't really know what to do after the question mark. <laughs> what about you, Scott? What's a what's a biopic that you uh, admire? Do what do I like? I don't know. He doesn't like anything. You no, know, he doesn't. I, I I have to think slowly. Okay. Then uh, I'll, I'll, I know what you like. Would you like? You like? Um, um, oh shit! The uh, uh, oh, help me out. You know the uh, Beach Boys one was good. No, Love Beach and Mercy. That, that, that was okay. That was good. Yeah. Um, the Gary Oldman playwright. Oh, prick up your ears. Prick up your prick ears. Up, oh, yeah. Oh, Joe Horton picture. Yeah, yeah. the Joe yeah. Horton movie. Prick up one. your ears is 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 terrific. Good yeah. movie. Yes. Yeah. I don't hear Valentino or the or Gable and Lombard or the Babe Ruth oh, story oh. on your list. Well, there's that period in the oh, mid seventies. Universal in the seventies. What's that about? They they clearly well they made a lot. <laughs> here's the thing: they made a lot of money with the Sting. Right. So and they're probably the and they and they had yeah. all those back catalog titles that were actually probably really doing great on television. So they thought like we'll make nostalgic movies. W C Fields and, so and me. W C Fields and me. Gable so and Lombard. Many. You know, um, uh, and whatever they made the movie that we we kind of make fun of in um in Dolomite, which page. is the front page. Front page. Which yeah. Desperately wanted to be the sting, you know. Yeah. Uh, and we're not really going out. I mean, here's the thing: a bunch of people have come up to us like, you know, why are you picking on Billy Wilder? Why are you picking on those guys? And it's not we're, we're not really picking on that movie. We're not saying that movie's bad. We're saying that it it isn't speaking to these guys. When yes, you, when you, clearly. When you it, it it makes the point loud and clear. You you know that that uh, everyone. If you just so showed a clip of Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, it'd be like, oh, that, what a what a nice piece of entertainment. But you cut to those people laughing in the theater, and then you get to the row of Rudy and his friends, and they they got a lot of jokes. But before they even say anything, you're like you're just you're. Oh, you're almost your breath gets taken away. Like, well, of course, these, this fucking movie is not speaking to these people in any way whatsoever. <laughs> he does a great line about it. Yeah, and so there's that thing where he looks up in the light. And it's like it's like, wait, we should make our own movies. Great. Now, ju- just to go into the weeds because uh, that's what your listeners want. Oh yeah, you know uh, this show. In, in our in in our original drafts, it was supposed to be. Uh, um, I just forgot the title. A touch of class. A touch of class with Glenna Jackson oh, and George Segal. You know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Utterly forgotten film. Nominated for Best Picture. Beloved. One Best Actress. I think it was nominated for yeah, five Glenda Oscars. Yeah. Us, Giant yeah. hit. Just a middle brow, middle class romantic comedy. And uh, we thought this is so perfect because nobody remembers this film. Right. And it just, it cracked us up. And we wrote drafts where we, we looked at the movie and we put in, you know, witty boulevard comedy dialogue between <laughs> these two flirting people. <laughs> and then you're cutting to, you know, 
to you know Rudy and his guys in the audience, just like this is like science fiction. Who are these? <laughs> who are <laughs> these people? The front page. Uh, well, we it, couldn't get the rights. Well, to the rights oh. were complicated. Uh, uh, a touch of class was made by Brute, which was owned by Brute Shampoo. My God. And so. It was trying to clear up the rights with a movie owned by a, a shampoo company, <laughs> and it became easier to get a movie that was owned by Universal yeah. Studios. Yeah. So at the last second, we swapped out the front page. I actually, I, I actually think for the point, the front page actually makes the point. I think better class would have worked. It would have worked. It would have worked. And there were a lot of jokes about the let's just say Rudy's friends really didn't understand the appeal of Glenda Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they really didn't understand how that woman was starring in movies. But, but, but in, in, in terms of theme, I mean, also front page represents the past. Yeah. So, so that helps our story. Yeah. Also, the fact that it's like you know the Billy Wilder movie version is not very good, but when you think of the front page, it's like the front page. Of course, it's uh it's that classic Broadway thing, you know. And sure. it's just, and then but put in the context of right there, right at that time, it, it's wrong. I dispute the idea that audiences were actually laughing at the front page. That's, that's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> 1970, yeah. 1974, as you, as you depicted in the uh, movie, but I think it did actually did, did it did really? okay. It did okay. Did it? Yeah. That, boy, that was the beginning of I the end yeah, for Wilder. I mean, it, was, it didn't get good reviews. Well, I think it was Avanti. actually. Yeah, it's nobody, buddy. Yeah. Well, as we're talking about Preminger, oh. we're talking about Wilder. I mean, is that is that oh. thing where like you know, there's a, there's something to Quentin's theory of like I'm going to make ten movies and walk away. I get that. Though you know? I, I I watched Fedora about a year ago. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a winner, but it's it's not a loser either. It, it, wow. Okay. It, I, it, 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 it's got enough good stuff that it, it, it it's not an embarrassment. I want to see the uncut Private Life of Sherlock Holmes before they got the, for the studio. Was it UA? You'll never. They find got it. their hands yeah. on it and, yeah. and just and just and mangled it because that that's probably his last great picture. No, 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 you even go that far. Yeah, I, mean, I would. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't even that. like. I don't, I don't even like one, two, three. Oh, I like one, two, three. I like one, two, three. That gives me a headache. I'm, I like. Kiss I'm me with stupid. Larry on that Kiss one. I do too. I do amazing. too. Amazing. You imagine mood. Kiss Me Stupid with 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 Sellers though. If he hadn't that's, had that heart attack, that's yeah. one of the, those those. You, yeah, I, Ray Walston makes me laugh, but it's one of those things where <laughs> you you watch that movie, you, it feels unfair. You just watch this movie, and it's like, oh my god, it could have been Peter Sellers. It could have been Peter Sellers. Uh-huh. That's all you think of. And I'll use that no, as a no, segue. The, and the, the, but before you do your segue, that probably isn't really a segue. <laughs> if you uh, announce a segue, it's not really a segue. Uh, the the first script <laughs> it's called changing the topic. You got me. The first script we ever sold was uh, influenced by the fortune cookie. Yeah, which is which is terrific. Which is a later era Wilder. But what was it, it? Was a, it was it was a courtroom comedy? Okay, about malfeasance. Okay, that wasn't Jupiter needs parking. No, it wasn't. No, okay. it was Homewreckers. I won't ask about that. Okay, but on the subject of sellers, <laughs> yes, <laughs> man, we could do a six-hour yes. show. Yes. Gilbert's obsessed with After the Fox, and I found ah, that as one of your one of Fox? your picks. I, I am the Fox. Ding 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 ding. Great song. Scott is not a lover of After the Fox. No, it's really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Though that 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 last scene where they all watch the movie—that's fantastic. Yes. That's amazing. That's yes. a great, great scene where they actually, yeah, they. Uh, the plot of the movie is a guy. Here we go. <laughs> a, uh, a, a master thief <laughs> wants to uh, wants to rob uh, rob this gold, and 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 he pretends to be a, a film director, uh, and he goes into a small town and basically casts the entire town as extras in this movie he's shooting. But what he's really having them do is steal the gold, and uh, but all of, it's, it's it's like it's, smart, it's like it's one, our, it's one of our it's one of our kind of a stupid it's, film. It's, but it, there's a lot of like stupid movie making stuff in it 
and and the final they get caught and they have a courtroom scene and they actually project um, the movie that they shot and it makes all the jurors start crying. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like it's like uh, you know you everyone everyone is shown to be the fool that they are. And it's, it's, it's a but sure is good done. in it. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's directed by I mean it's insane. Victoria the credits are crazy. It's directed by Victoria DeSica. It's written by Neil Simon. Uh, music by Burt Backrack. I know. And stars Peter Sellers. It should be the best film of all time. Yeah, and, well, it really should. With and us, there's that talent. part when they show the film and it's awful. Yeah, in the courtroom and a critic stands up. Yes, yeah, one it guy. It's a genius. Yes, and they go, "He's the movie critic." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. One, more. and we stole a joke from it. You did. We did. And from Problem Child. We did. Oh, uh, that's how. Uh, Maybe you stole a joke. No, no. It's the. It's um. It's the. It's the. He, how he gets out of prison? How the Botanic oh, gets out of prison? Oh, Michael Richards, the wrong man has escaped. Right. Exactly. No, no, no. Right, it's, right. Who totally. is the fox? I am I the fox. The fox. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I am <laughs> me. <laughs> Who is me? <laughs> I am a thief. <laughs> you caused your poor, poor sister grief. Oh, after the fox. Oh. After <laughs> wow, that's great. Scott's right. With with all that talent, it should have been the best movie ever made. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So what's happening now? It's on Netflix. It's no it's on longer. Netflix. Does that mean it's no longer in theaters? Uh, it's still in a few theaters. It's hanging. On. It's hanging there. Okay. Santa Monica and in, in Santa Monica. But aren't I? I've been saying this for years now. Movie theaters are dead. Um, movie theaters are not dead. Actually, attendance is fine at movie theaters. It's just not for it's it's for it's for those blockbuster things. Yeah. you know what I mean. So it's like it's like um, those movies that Scorsese loves. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And Coppola. Um, and Mike, you Lee. know, and thank, but thankfully, you know, some place like Netflix is still in the business of making, uh, making these mid-budget kind of movies. Well, that's that, one of the best parts yeah. of the story is you go in to pitch Netflix, and you're thinking you have to tell Ted Sarandos who who Rudy Ray Moore yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. We we were well so acquainted. Yeah. So nervous that that because of our PTSD from the the bad meetings eighteen years earlier, and that okay, we've got ten minutes of explanatory. Who the hell is Rudy Ray Moore? And Ted just cut us off. And he said, "Guys, I ran video stores in the eighties. Rudy kept us in business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everything fell into place. Yes, it yep. did. For a movie that, that took sixteen years to make, it happened very quickly. Can you guys talk about anything else that's in the that's in the planning stages not or really, in the works? Not really. Okay, let's just. We might jinx it if we yeah. do. Okay. Yeah. I am going to hit you up to just talk a little bit about interviewing Robert Morris because he's somebody we've been trying to oh. get here. Oh, he'd be great. Oh, Bobby's um, great. He would. He did the front page when he was in New York. You should have got it when he was doing the front page. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, he, he was here. Yeah. yeah um, we we uh, had he, a hard time getting to him. And I saw that production of the front page. That was How funny. was he? That was great. He was great, and uh, Nathan was amazing. It was great. And yeah. he was I the first one to play Truman. Yes. Yeah. No, he's fantastic. And that, he won the Tony for that. Yeah. Oh, Truman. Truman. True. Yeah. Truman. Yeah. Truman. Yeah. yeah. Truman. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. got Harry Truman. Truman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would have yeah. been a great Harry Truman. <laughs> <laughs> Put Whitmore out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But James Whitmore would be very pissed off. What the, Bobby Morris is stealing my act. <laughs> stealing my and, act. And jumping um, back to the movie. Well, actually, I, I thought you were going to say he's the first He's the first person to play The Whiz. Because uh, not not the Wiz, because that's that's a, that's a, that's a black show from the seventies. But uh, he played, he played it was Richard Pryor, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, in the yes. movie version. Oh, oh, Wicked and Wicked. And Wicked, yes. yeah, he played Wiz that's until right, until, oh. until it opened on Broadway. But they they replaced Joel Gray. Technically, in there. Frank Morgan was first. True, technically, very true. Um, but no, Bobby's fantastic. I had a, a screening recently of uh, of How to Succeed in Business, 
and um, and uh, it was packed. We sold out the the American Cinematheque. You enjoy doing those things. Oh, I saw I have him a good Scott time. last night at the, at the, at the theater. And he, I don't he, do it as much as I used to. I did. I used to do it quite a bit. Now it has to be. You know, uh, we're just so busy these days that. Um, um, uh, I enjoy talking about other people's movies rather than my own movie, but right now we're talking about our own movies. Right. Uh, but this was beautiful because, you know, Bobby's so entertaining, and that movie plays, that movie's great. That was a beautiful print. That was a beautiful print. And, it, and it's crazy. It was Bobby 50 years later. Yeah. Telling, telling war stories. And it's an amazing performance. You know, oh, he's it is so good. Yeah, it's he's great. He's great in The Loved One. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I did the screening with that too. I did, uh, I did, um, him and Haskell Wexler, and I, I and I, I like to show off that I got to see Bobby Morris and Rudy Valley in Has Succeed. They did a revival wow. in the oh. early seventies wow. that came through L.A. Wow, so wow, that wow! Was, that was a big deal. And I, I, I was that kid standing at the dressing room door to get my my program autographed. Did you guys do any twenty fifth stuff for Ed Wood? Did we miss? Uh, did uh, we miss anything? No, we kind of did. We, we might still do something. Okay, we want to throw something together. Yeah. Last, then there was Bobby Morris. And this is a movie of its time. You know, it could only be made in that time. And that was Guide to the Married Man. Oh, that's yeah. Did yeah. Kelly movie. direct that? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That movie, like... All right, Larry, is, do the Joey Bishop scene. The well, Joey Bishop scene. <laughs> yes. Freaking greatest scene of all time. You guys are like America. Deny, <laughs> deny, deny. Um, <laughs> no, he knows what's going on. Joey, Joey Bishop is is making love to his mistress, and his wife comes in and catches them. And the mistress and Joey Bishop just get on, get up, and she, the wife is yelling and yelling and yelling. And Joey just puts on his clothes. He makes the, the bed. Mi- <laughs> he makes the bed. He does everything. The mistress like grabs her clothes and she leaves. And Joey Bishop goes in the living room and sits down, and starts reading the paper. <laughs> and he looks up and uh-huh. it's like, uh, "Oh, well, honey, what's going on?" Or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> completely uh, uh-huh. doesn't say it happens. But that movie is like. I think that's the Me Too era. That's a toxic, toxic film. Oh uh, yes. because, yeah, because oh, yeah. uh, I, was a, I was actually more, with more than how to murder your wife. <laughs> yeah, how he to murder that one. Yes, how to I, murder I, I like that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I, I remember at, after the Bobby Moore screening at the um, at the Cinematheque, I was standing there with a couple people from um, uh, the American Cinematheque, and some person came over to me and said, "You guys should show Guide for the Married Man." And they walked away, and the Cinematheque person said, "No, we won't show." The guy yeah. For the married yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. Oh yeah, they yeah. firebomb the theater. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can, can I put put in a request to your listeners? Please. Mm. Uh, here's a trivia question which we don't know the answer to. Oh, oh. Uh, when these, we were, these freaks will know. There we go. When we were making Dolomite, we knew everything about everything except we don't know the name of the actor who played the warden. Yeah. And he is he is recreated in our film in that very funny scene yes. where, where Dolomite's getting out of prison and a lady reads in the Santa suit. And, and we, his name has been lost to time. Yeah. So if anyone, wow. if that was somebody's uncle, let Frank and Gil know. I'm confident somebody's going to come up with that. I, someone is screaming it. Yeah. As, as they he's, get he's not listed on, on IMDb. He's not, he's he's not, not in the credits. No. Not it's even so the frustrating. Credits. The credits are weird because he's, they've got the director listed like next to next to third right. yes. in, the, in the opening credits. They don't even know where director, right. where the director no, that's credit That's a great goes. thing. You, you look at 70s posters. And the director will be in the middle of the building block, and it'll be, it'll be like the editor is last. Yeah, it's <laughs> or weird. the production designer. Yeah. Well, great. We, what I wanted to do with our movie, we did. There's a I forget which movie does this of Rudy's, but uh, the credits all have the person's uh, zodiac sign. That's human. Uh, human tornado. <laughs> tornado. <laughs> Larry Kierzewski, you know, Scorpio. <laughs> that's that's really what I, that's what I wanted. Speaking but, of credits, you yeah. do like the Harry Nielsen sung credits. Oh, that's amazing! In that's fantastic. Yeah, yes. it's, it's the only it's the only good thing about that. We had Austin Pendleton here talked about Skidoo. Well, He's got good memories. Fred of it. Clark is the is the he car, liked I think. Well, yeah. Gil, Gilbert, what do you think of Groucho and Skidoo? 
Uh, I, it's yeah. it, it's kind of like uh, Groucho in those later Marx Brothers movies. It's worse. He's but reading. He, he's yeah. reading cue cards. Yeah. Austin uh, liked them, though. Hmm. They got along. Okay. Yeah, he said they once they understood it was a piece of shit they were doing, they enjoyed themselves. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we should tell people if they don't know Rudy Ray Moore's canon that they should they should watch these things. I they mean, certainly Petey Whitestraw. Uh, Petey Whitestraw. I, I, I mean, I, would, uh, I mean, I I find starting with Human Tornado is probably the best entry level. But if you see the movie Dolomite, you're gonna want want to start with Dolomite. Because you're gonna, you know, even though we recreate uh, scenes from both films, uh, Dolomite is certainly. Is was she is she cutting off the guy's Johnson in the scene? And yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's off camera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 the uh, <laughs> the infamous scene at the end of Dolomite, which we recreate, yeah. where he pulls out Derville Derville Martin's guts, yeah, uh, actually had a last minute MPAA meltdown right. where they got an X rating. Really. So. And at the end of the day, you know, whatever, Rudy just went over to Ralph's supermarket and bought some some tenderloin. You know, it, it, it's, it's not much of a special effect. And so there is a jump cut in the final version of the movie where Rudy starts to reach down and then just yeah. like pops up and now he's holding it. You don't actually see it happen. Right. No. Explain to me how he takes the bullet. To the, is it supposed to be to his shoulder? It looks like a shot to his Who heart. Knows? Who it's, knows? It doesn't make any you sense. Don't, you don't go to Dolmite for realism. <laughs> well, I have to say, too, it was an absolute pleasure to see Eddie Murphy back in oh, that form yeah. it's, again. Yeah. It really, it, I it's, mean, it's, it's, it's a just, star performance. Eddie doing everything he's great at. I mean, he's he's funny, and he's doing stand-up, and he's doing singing, and he's, and he's vulnerable at times. Yeah. Yeah, no, it I remember was really, uh, the, really I'm, sweet. First day of shooting, uh, they, Eddie was doing his stuff, and kind of looked at each other, and it was we're like, like I just feel like we we're making a movie at Humphrey Bogart or something, you know, something like this great star who just has come back, you know, come back with full power. I can't think of anyone who's come back with full power. And the love comes off the screen that that he's playing this guy yeah. that he that he yeah. really loved, that he really admired, that he feels he owes something to, yeah. and that comes that comes across too. Great. The passion that it's a passion project. Before you guys get out of here, one more person we lost this year. I have to ask the master screenwriters just about William Goldman. Hmm. And what? What in your opinion? Because it's also the tw- the fiftieth anniversary of the release of Butch Cassidy. Oh wow. Jesus! This really? week, it's really that old. Yeah, oh I know. Depressing. Um, what? What is? What does he mean to you guys? I mean, he's a he's a great craftsman. He. Um, I mean, Butch Cassidy and I mean all the president's men, they make it look so easy. I mean, all the president's men shouldn't work on any level. It's just not very interesting material for drama. And yet it's just completely engrossing. It's just scenes with people dropping off packages in parking garages. (laughs) And you're on the edge of your seat. They're going through phone books. They're they're doing they're doing process. I mean, I think uh, the influence on us is that is like all the president's men is about process. Is about how how you get the story. You're walking through all the steps, and it was a little influential on the OJ thing when when people would always ask that question of like you know, oh, how can you how can you do a, a thriller where you know the ending? We know we know that we know that OJ gets away with it, you know. And we we're always like, well, and all the presidents, men, you know, you know, it's what, what history is, but mm-hmm. yet you're at the edge of your seat uh, through a lot of that film. And I I mean I I don't, I don't know if I'm if I'm being a, a good film historian with with Bush, Cassie, but. I feel like isn't it isn't it the first cheeky action film? Um, I I I say Goldfinger. 
But 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 definitely yeah. definitely you're 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 correct. In terms of though. in terms of the, the buddy reference, yeah, the first buddy yeah. movies, definitely. Isn't it? Yeah, totally, I, totally. I, he might have invented that. He might have. I mean, I I, I like to say that I'm, I, I've said too many times that Freebie and the Bean invented the modern crazy action comedy buddy film, but. Butch Cassidy did come first. Well, Butch Cassidy—they're playing historical figures, but they're modern dudes. You know what I mean? They're—they are. It's Paul Newman. And it's Robert modern Hitler. attitude. Yeah, modern attitude. You know. And what has Gilbert meant to you? <laughs> <laughs> One day I want to see his legs. Yes. <laughs> Walk for us, Gilbert. Walk for us. <laughs> you guys going? Run, Jew, run. <laughs> You guys going to another screening? A, yes. a, a junket? What? We're going to some uh, uh, British what? Academy, I believe. BAFTA. BAFTA. Thanks for BAFTA. thanks for finding time thanks to squeeze real, this. And we we love you guys. Yeah, though. you guys we love are great. You guys. Yes. And I also have to credit you for your hilarious emails. No, that's, <laughs> that is the greatest. That's the that is the greatest thing. In but every the, once in a while, I'll, I'll like go to a movie, turn up my phone, and I come back out, and they're like, "Oh my god, twenty emails! Like, who died in my family?" It's like <laughs> it's Frank Sandra Padre and, and and Dana Gould showing pictures of like Jerry Lewis. And, and and it's like Don Knotts. What the hell? Yeah, what yeah. The hell? You guys put some great stuff up oh, there. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, well, that's a great. Group the Seven too. Seal parody pictures that oh, you that did with Sweden were great. great. And then you found that that loose cannons thing with the uh, the guy that thought it was a snuff film. That was your that, that was, was your me. discovery. That was crazy. That was wait wait. We, let's, we should let's, explain. Let's there's with this, there's an email group with Conan and Drew and Patton yeah, and yeah, Le- okay, Leonard, Malton, Leonard Malton. And, okay, but the, the what was it in Canada? They found it and the guy found it in the trash. and thought it was a snuff film, but it yeah. turned out it was a Don Delaney film. Close enough. It, it snuffed some of their careers. I think it's really what it was. Um, Thanks, Jess. All right, take care, guys. Gil, Thanks, they guys. gotta go. You want to sign off? Oh, uh, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and our guests are the creators of Problem Child One, <laughs> <laughs> and more importantly, Problem Child Two. <laughs> Scott. Alexander and Larry Karazus. Thank you, guys. See the movie, everybody. All right, great. Thank you, guys. Go to Dolomite. Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Godfrey and Frank Santa Padre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. 
web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. 